0: Welcome back to Not Your Average Joe, the podcast that'll make anyone a little less average. I'm your host, Joe Franco, and you know I had to stick in a financial literacy episode in the mix. It is one of my greatest passions because my lifestyle is fueled by making sound and strategic financial decisions, And so if you wanna live a global lifestyle or just a financially independent one, these conversations are always chock full of those not your average Joe takeaways to help you get into an abundant lucrative money mindset. And you know what's funny? I've been thinking a lot about this. I love learning languages because it's habit-driven. I love working out because it's habit-driven. But really, so is money management. It's not something that's going to change overnight. Of course, it's not the only thing I'm going to talk about, but because I live a global lifestyle where I have to be strategic with how I spend my money, how I make my money, it's important. And I think when you have your money right, that is a sign that you are not an average Joe. My guest for the day is Tori Dunlap, who's the founder and CEO of her first 100K. This woman is dope.
1: In a society or a system that is telling you narratives, right, they're telling you, how you should look at money. And they're saying things like, well, don't talk about money because that's taboo, right? Don't talk about money. That's impolite. Or investing isn't for you. It's too complicated. Don't do it, right? Or you should just work hard. And when you work hard, then you'll become a millionaire. And so all of these narratives are perpetuated by patriarchal, ableist, racist systems that profit off of your silence. They profit off of your inaction, right? So if the patriarchy tells you don't talk about money and then you don't talk about money, they get to stay in power, right? They profit off of your silence. Or if they tell you investing's too intimidating, right, then you won't do it, you won't build wealth and they will continue building wealth on their own. So there's all of these narratives that are perpetuated about like about money, about managing money, about how wanting money is evil or greedy and all of these things are meant, to your point, to keep you from becoming financially educated, to keep you from feeling comfortable with money, and to keep you from wanting to increase the amount of money you have and your relationship with money.
0: She is not only an entrepreneur, a content creator, but something that we now call a creatorpreneur. It's a content creator who's aligning their content with businesses, and it basically just works symbiotically. Her business is, of course, about financial literacy. And in today's episode, we go down the path of why money is so psychologically intertwined how to get a better grip on your finances And how she turned a small blog with less than 4,000 followers To a massive movement with millions of followers You're gonna want to take notes to the intro, sis You know she's not your average show, Not your average
1: fan of your work my entire team is obsessed with you absolutely obsessed with you yes and they were like if we can get joe on the podcast and if you can go on joe's oh they're like freaking out it's very cute they're very excited
0: so i've been in the game for a minute i've made content for a long time so it's always flattering to know that people care about my work but what i'm always excited to know about is people's pasts like what were they doing financially before they became a success so that was my first question as a woman who's built a company about financial literacy. What was her money journey?
1: So I was really lucky enough to have parents who were committed to educating me about money and educating me about how to manage money responsibly. And so I learned at a very young age how to save money for the things that I wanted, how to use a credit card responsibly. I mean, to ask about money. What's a Roth IRA? How do I start investing? How do I save money? How do I pay off my student loans? All of that. And so I realized that through my own research, through my own financial standing and building my own financial foundation, that I don't think we have any sort of equality for any marginalized group until we have financial equality, and we could view personal finance and becoming financially educated as a form of protest. In a society or in a system that actively doesn't want you to have money and actively gatekeeps personal finance advice and how to build wealth and how to build stability, we could, if we could get this information into more women's hands, the entire world could start to change. And so I started her first 100K, and it's just been crazy since then. And we have a community now of over 3 million. We have a top business podcast. We uh, have a book coming out at the end of the year. And so it's just been absolutely crazy.
0: Really, 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 really important conversation. A million percent agree they keep you blind for a reason. We need to protest against yeah. this inequality. And and it really starts with, like, getting involved and seeking out resources. So to backtrack a little bit, was there a moment in your college life or in your jobs where you saw inequality in its face? Yeah,
1: I mean, I am the first to acknowledge my privilege. I am a cisgendered white woman who... Uh, my parents, really, their investment was me. So we... I grew up very frugally, but, like, I didn't want for anything, Um, and my parents made really strategic sacrifices and choices in order for me to be able to take piano lessons and go to good schools and do all of those things, and so um, I think there was a bunch of different moments. Um, One of them was having a conversation when I was 19. I actually talk about this in my book. I was sitting in the dorm room next door, uh, friends of mine, and we were just, like, sitting there shooting the shit and at one point the woman who lived next door to me Alex was like uh just casually threw out that she was going to be a hundred thousand dollars in debt just from her bachelor's degree and when you're 19 at least for me then I had no like I knew what a $1, thousand hundred thousand dollars was but like I didn't really and it was like you know this kind of uh, it felt like monopoly money or felt like this concept that you didn't really understand. Right. And when you're talking about being a hundred thousand dollars in debt at age 19, 18, you don't fully understand that that debt's going to follow you for decades. Right. So we were like complaining about the cost of college and, you know, just having her chime in of like, Oh yeah, this four year degree is going to cost me over a hundred thousand dollars of debt. Like we were like, oh my God, that sucks. And then now I think about that and I'm like, oh, Jesus. Like that's the John Mulaney bit. He does this whole bit about like how it's crazy that we ask 17 year olds in sweatpants to basically sign, you know, a contract that says I'm going to pay you $120,000 for, you know, a, p- a piece of paper. Like that's insane. Um, And then again, like I think really for me learning more about, about you know, the environment I'm in and, and our country was, again, like Trump getting elected. Like, I think black and brown people, a lot of black and brown people were not surprised that he got elected. But 21, 22 year old me was very, very shocked and um was really pissed off about it and was really trying to find a way to um to do something about it. And again, realized, again, through conversations and through discussions and watching female f- friends and coworkers get paid less at their jobs and me getting sexist shit said to me at work. Like it became just very, very clear that I had a responsibility with the privilege I had been given, and that, you know, there's a bunch of people doing activism in plenty of different ways. And if I could provide, again, a financial education, that could be my form of activism. And so, yeah, I started the blog that later became Her First 100K on the side and didn't have a completely clear vision of what that was yet, but just wanted to talk about, you know, money and career and my experience being a 20-something woman and trying to navigate that. And then again, more conversations, more research, um, more onion layer peeling where you just like start peeling back the onion layers and you're like, oh, all of this is connected. All of this, like all of this is interwoven together. And so it just became so obvious to me that a financial education was one of our best forms of protest. Amen,
0: sister. It's true. It's true. I feel like those inequalities happen so often, but but a lot of people, like because psychology is so closely woven with money, people don't even know to break them apart. Yes. For me, one of, I mean, shit, my whole life has been a financial psychological experience like any of our lives have been, but like I, I have these pivotal moments in my life that shaped my money relationship, my money language. One of the ways that I first saw obvious in my face discrimination was it's a very simple example so I used to have this high school job at uh, aero Pastel. so it was this clothing company at like at the mall and I used to work there I worked there for two years as I was in high school I had another job too I had two other jobs actually but that was like my weekend job and then I went to college in Manhattan Similar to your friend, I signed up for a shit ton of debt and I was just like, yeah, I'll figure out a way to pay this. And I did, but at the time I had no clear vision of how I was going to do that. It wasn't 100000 it was 70000 But still, like, with no financial backing, that's a ridiculous amount of money. And the only reason it wasn't 100000 was because I found every single opportunity to, like, cut costs, whether that was working on campus, staying over the summer working... Anyways, I get to college in New York and I'm working at like a really poorly paid work study job and I did that strategically so that I could get the intel on getting internships before everyone else did so I could get ahead because I knew I needed that. And then I got this side job. I was like scouted on the streets to work at the flagship Aero store in New York City, like in Times Square. And they were hiring 100 people. So it was like a mass recruitment. And they asked all of the people that got recruited if we had any friends. And I had this really good friend in college who shared my enthusiasm, who I couldn't tell was, like, going to be a good worker. He had no retail experience. So I tell him about it. I'm like, okay, come in. We're going to do the audition, the interview together. It was like a 50-person at-a-time interview. And at the end of it, they gave 20 of us jobs.
1: Why does this feel like a casting
0: call, not a
1: not a retail because
0: it was the flagship store so the way that they like poach their employees because they want their employees to look like the brand you know so it is it's like a casting call it's like dirty and gross and it gets grosser so then after that we get our our salaries like we get our hourly rates and they had asked all of us do you have retail experience and what were you getting paid at your last job Which is a very tricky question (laughs) because I said, yes, I've worked in retail for two years. I want employee of the month, blah, blah, blah. I know how to do X, Y, and Z. My salary, I think it was something like $7.25 is what, what I got paid in Connecticut. But now we're talking New York City. And so they were like, okay, Joe, we'll give you an increase of $8.25 per hour. And I was like, oh my god, that's amazing. I get out of the interview/slash audition and I ask my friend, hey, how much did you get? And the only reason he told me was because I got him the interview. Can you believe that this man, he was a man of color, but still a man who had no retail experience, he got offered $10 an hour. I was pissed, I was upset, I was shocked. And I was aware that inequality is so real that when people assign you a paycheck, it often has nothing to do with your skill. It has to do with whatever they think you deserve. And racially and sex- sexually, you know, with gender and all of these biases drip in to this fucked up system. And this is only like yeah. the beginning. This was like a, a minuscule example of what I keep seeing in my career I keep seeing this it would be a happy ending if I could tell you like oh yeah and that was the end of that like no I keep seeing
1: this I got paid equally and equitably for the rest of my time yeah I wish yeah no um first of all sorry that happened you are not alone I hear stories like that all the time and you you it's a perfect segue. So my podcast is called Financial Feminist. I really consider myself to be one of the leaders of the financial feminist movement because when you think about financial feminism and personal finance, about 90% of the personal finance equation is circumstantial. Only 10% is choices. Right? So like we think about your experience there as a perfect example. Maybe you could have known to negotiate your salary more and what you could have said, right? Maybe you could have known that, you know, there's there were strategies and ways to go about asking for more money. But the other 90% was you were a brown woman and they probably thought they could take advantage of you, right? And the second thing is that Actually, that question, "What are you currently making or what is your current salary?" has now been, I think, actually in New York City. It is now illegal in over twenty states. And so this is when we're talking about like financial education and financial feminism, these things have to coexist. We can teach you how to save you know how to save money, how to pay off debt, how to negotiate your salary. But it has to be coupled with policy and systemic change because I can't tell somebody how to save money if they don't have access to money in the first place, right? My work as a personal finance educator already has built-in privilege with it because it's assuming that you have some sort of money to play with and to optimize for, right? And so that's why like, a lot of my work is around these actionable resources. A lot of it is like, how do we, as a culture, shift the narrative around money? How do we vote and protest and change the systemic issues that are keeping people from having money? And to the point about your story, like again, how do we make policies that make these questions illegal, Make paying and undercompensating someone, especially a woman, a person of color, a member of the LGBTQ community, a disabled person, how do we make that an illegal act so they don't do it, right? So it has to be a two-part thing. It can't just be, how do we better your individual choices? That's such a small part of like the the pie chart. The, the 90% of the pie chart is like, how do we change the very systems and the perpetual behavior that exists that perpetuates those systems. It's so
0: tricky because I feel like this is one of those issues, like you said, peeling back the layer that it's like a never ending peel-a-thon and, and it sucks because it doesn't end.
1: It literally doesn't. No, I'm writing my book right now. So I'm two weeks from my manuscript being due and this entire like three, four year process of writing this book has just been like peel back a layer be shocked peel back another layer be more shocked of just like how deep this shit goes and again how like interwoven it is and you can you can literally like draw a through line or connect threads of how money is a link to every single like decision every single motivation every single inequality on this planet like at the end of the day, like money is the great equalizer. We all need it. We all have to get it. And we all exist in a system where we actively don't want to participate, right? Like, capitalism sucks, yet you still have to navigate the system that exists.
0: I feel like in so many ways, while the pile of shit is really deep and it gets deeper and deeper, we also have this advantage of being alive when the internet is the perfect platform for financial opportunities. You've built an empire educating people. So not only are you doing something to educate financial literacy, but you're also full time and you have staff that are full time. So, let's kind of talk about that for a second. When I think about my journey, my financial story was written to be bad. It was not supposed to be a good one. Right? Like when you're an immigrant, your parents are going to like use your social security to get credit cards because they don't have any credit history. Like they're going to do whatever they need and it's going to create this problem for you when you get older that you're going to need to either solve, which is very, it takes a lot of guts to solve that, which is what I did and continue to do. And you have to uplift them as well. Or you can crumble, right? Like, so those are the two options for the immigrant narrative. And for me, the main resource that I had, there were a few things that changed my entire life. The first thing was innate curiosity. That is 100% how I was able to, to kind of thrive. And the second thing was the internet. So it's like building these forms of passive income when you're educating people. I'm sure that that's a part of your, your kind of education. But for you personally, how did your life change when you started the blog that
1: then became a company? I mean, everything changed. Um, I am 27 years old and I am financially independent, meaning that I don't have to work another day in my life if I don't want to. I can live off of my investments. I can live off of my savings for the rest of my life. And um, the reality is that, unfortunately, most people will not have this feeling. And my work is to try to give every single woman this feeling because it is incredible. I don't put up a toxicity anymore. I think that's the biggest thing is when you get your financial shit together, you start realizing just how that affects every aspect of your life. So I don't have to take a job I don't want. I don't have to work with a client I don't want. I can fire a client at any time, even if they're our biggest client, if it means escaping from toxicity. I get to have a partner or pursue a partnership with somebody because I like them and not because I'm financially dependent on them. Right. I can employ people, which is the real thing I'm doing right now, which is the fucking coolest. I get to literally throw money at causes I believe in almost without a second thought. And it is so cool. And this is the feeling I want for every single woman. So yeah, in starting my business, it grew very slowly. I started, again, as a, like a blog and a side hustle like in December of 2016 and was working a nine to five in marketing and was trying to save a portion of my nine to five income and also trying to earn money on the side. And the whole Her First 100K origin story was me trying to save 100K at 25. Like I wanted to have my first 100K, get my first 100K at 25. And so it was a lot of me negotiating my salary every time when I jumped ship into another job. It was setting aside an automatic transfer from my checking account to my savings account. And then it was also this, this business that was growing. And so for 2017 and 2018, I didn't make any money in the business. It was me trying to figure out what I wanted to say, how I wanted to say it. And then when I rebranded in 2019 to her first 100K, that's when everything took off. So it was getting really clear as to who my audience was, what I wanted to say, And again, this like money is a form of protest thing because although there were people talking about it, I don't think anybody was talking about it as distinctly and as clearly as that. And so I literally hit my 100K. I achieved my goal of saving $100,000 at 25. I went to Europe to celebrate. I was on Good Morning America and quit my job three weeks later um, and started 2020 pre-pandemic three months before the pandemic as a full-time business owner and we've been thankful enough that our business has skyrocketed during the pandemic. So we now have 15 team members. Again, we have, you know, 3 million followers. It's been absolutely crazy. And nothing even, you know, uh, nothing has really grown my wealth like starting my own business. But that was a huge risk I took on, right? And also a good chunk of time where I wasn't making any money in the business. And so I made strategic decisions where I was like, "Okay, my business can't fund my life right now." Even though I desperately want to quit my job. So I'm not going to. And I'm basically, I'm going to use my nine to five as my business investment. So I'm going to use the stability and the health insurance and everything a nine to five offers as my way of slowly but surely growing a business. And now, of course, that business not only sustains me full time, but sustains a bunch of other people on my team. And, um, It is what I believe I was put on this earth to do. It's my favorite fucking thing in the entire world.
0: You go, girl. I'm so stoked for you. That's really exciting. (laughs) Just like, shit, these stories make me super stoked. Because, you know, on the day-to-day, I'm sure that there's a lot of work to be done. You're, like, moving the ship and steering it. And it's it's not often we get to, like, come up. Oh, I
1: work harder now than I ever worked in my nine-to-five, you know. But it's 100% worth it. And it's
0: ironic because when you look at,
1: Financially,
0: you know, when you work a nine to five job and you're getting a salary, you're working hard for that paycheck. When you're a business owner and you're financially independent, you're working because you want to work. But sometimes you work more. I feel like I work more now, even though my finances are great. And it's like Way more. everything is fine, but I'm working more because I feel this duty to my audience to give them positive Yep. good, smart content that will like make them grow as I grow. So it is it is this form of protest in what I do as well. And part of my message is financial literacy because I know that so much of my lifestyle is linked to being able to say, okay, I'm gonna buy a house for my mom. Okay, I'm gonna go to London for a month and rent a really crazy apartment. It's expensive, I would never do this, but I'm doing this because it's an investment because here I'll be able to create more. And it's you're investing and pouring back into yourself all of this is insane i feel like your trajectory was pretty fast like i I see two years of no work i really like the calculated risk very smart strategically using your health insurance because we know as entrepreneurs that shit comes for you the health insurance so money (laughs) so much money it's so crazy like the overhead just gets higher and higher the more you make it's a good problem to have But Biggie was right. Mo' money, mo' problems. Seriously. Now Your Average Joe takeaway number one. Look at money as a form of protest. Education is a form of protest. There's a reason why taxes are complicated. There's a reason why money makes money. It's in order to keep people in the dark. When you break it down, when you learn things, you become a little bit less ignorant, a little more aware. You have more tools and understanding to make better decisions. And when you make better decisions, they compound into a better life. And this is especially important for marginalized groups or people who did not grow up with financial literacy in their households, like me. Another takeaway here is inequality is real. And if you're from one of those groups that are consistently, you know, in the dark, You got to do a little bit more work. The Not Average Joe is not going to wait for handouts. They're going to dig into the research. They're going to look for the information. They're going to ask questions to anyone who's willing to help them. After the break, we get into the nitty gritty of how Tori did turn her passion for financial literacy into a full-blown business. Because what she did is anything but average.
2: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down.
0: What happened in 2020 that that really skyrocketed? Yes, there was the rebrand, but what did you see really skyrocket the
1: message? TikTok, 100%. Um, It was literally, I joined TikTok as we all did in like March of 2020 to just like scroll through some shit and bored in the house and I'm in the house bored. And then I was like, I honestly, this is like, this is me feeling I hated when people did this when I was younger, because I'm 27. I'm not like super old yet. But like, I was so used to being like the youngest person in the room when I was, you know, progressing in my career. And I did the thing that I hate when other people do Where I was like, okay, I can't do financial content on TikTok, though, because like, I'm too old and people don't care. And like Gen Z, he's 17 year olds, they don't give a shit. They don't give a shit about like personal finance. And I was thinking that for a couple months. And then, like July rolls around, and I'm like, you know what? I'm spending enough time on here anyway. I may as well try. Like, I may as well try and see what happens. And literally, within two weeks of creating financial content, we had a video go viral. It now has, I think, almost 4 million views. It blew up. We had 30,000 Instagram followers at the time. In less than a year, we had grown to, oh my gosh. 350 350 400 Instagram followers 400,000 and that's purely because of TikTok. We did over 800,000 followers on TikTok in less than a year. Um like it was just insane. And now it's not even been 2 years yet and we have over 2 million followers on TikTok on the platform. Uh we have another like 630 as of this recording on Instagram and Our podcast blew up because of TikTok. Like, we haven't released an episode of the podcast since June of last year. New episodes are coming soon. But we haven't released a new episode in nine months. And we're still in, like, the top five, top ten business podcasts in the world because of TikTok. Like, it's just insane. Um, This is
0: crazy. This
1: is insane. Crazy. Crazy. And especially as a marketer, like as someone who did this shit in my nine to five, it is nuts to think about the growth. I I didn't buy ads. I didn't pay for PR. Like I didn't do any of that. It's all organic. Now the pace of it is insane. And again, you are playing the algorithm game. If you are building on borrowed land, you are playing by TikTok's rules. So even like right now, our videos like literally like in the past couple weeks, like we've seen our videos just not perform as well. And it's really interesting. And TikTok also incentivizes you. They boost you when you're producing more content. So the rule of thumb on TikTok is producing and creating, releasing three, at least three videos a day, which is absolutely insane in terms of pace. Um, So there's pros and cons to the platform, but to to the easy answer to your question of like, what changed was us putting time, effort, energy and investing it into TikTok. And yeah, everything blew up from there. It was insane.
0: When you say we on this team, talk about building the team. Because I can't imagine that it was you and the team since the very beginning. And when you take on an employee or anyone to help you, even if it's an intern, you're kind of like absorbing this liability and this responsibility to help this person better their, their career and you hope that it's a fit, but it's not always easy.
1: So how did the team grow? No, it's not easy. Um, I think the big thing I had to decide was whether I wanted to invest money or invest time when you're hiring. And I see like when you're making your first couple hires, that's really the decision you have to make is do I want to invest money into hiring somebody who is more experienced, right, who I'm not going to have to train as much or do I want to invest time? And I chose to invest time. I chose to hire a lot uh, like half of our team is under the age of 23. My project manager is 18. And has no project management experience, no corporate experience whatsoever. But she works really hard and is really organized and is really, really smart. And so I was like, okay, I I call them my Frankensteins. I'm like, I can build you how I want to, right? I can teach you all the things that I want you to know. I can teach you how to be really good at your job. It's going to take more of my time, but it's it, for me that that made sense as a business decision rather than like paying a 5 10 year expert who's going to charge 50 100 500 dollars an hour so i was very strategic in my first couple couple hires and and bringing people on the team where i, I hired people who Uh, you know, had some experience, but who just really worked hard and who were hustlers and who really loved what we were doing. And then I trained them how I wanted them. Now we have the flexibility because we have more money to hire people, you know, who have more experience. Like I hired um, my friend Karina last year to be the COO. Of her first 100K. And she was my biggest investment in my business. Like, not just hiring, she was my biggest investment I, I had taken in the business thus far. And that was 100% a good choice. But I couldn't A, afford Karina two, three years ago. And B, it wouldn't have made sense for me at that point in the business to hire somebody like a COO. So instead, my first couple of hires were marketing, admin, helping with graphics, helping manage projects, helping reach out to potential partners. Right. So, um, yeah, I really was committed to hiring good people who worked really hard because skills are teachable, character isn't. I can't teach you how to be a good person. Mm -hmm. I can't teach you how to work hard, but I can teach you how to put together a good email that will convert people. I can teach you how to do that. So I think that that was probably the most strategic thing we did. And it's also, I just love being a mentor. I love doing that shit. And, um, it makes me a little teary and i'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go fully into this, but it's so cool to know that not only my work publicly, right are you know we're helping people pay off debt and save money and we get those sort of messages literally like every ten minutes of somebody negotiating twenty five percent more in their salary or you know saving ten k and able being able to leave an abusive relationship. like we get those messages all the time, and that's incredible. I've also now seen the impact of what this business does for my individuals who work at her first under K and especially hiring people who this was not part of the plan. They, you know, this was not part of the trajectory, knowing now that I get to literally change their life, change their financial situation for again, the rest of their life. Like, that's so cool. I get to give people jobs. I get to give them experience. I hope to treat them well enough that they never leave. But if they do choose to leave, they have the experience and, and the dedication and, and the flexibility that they need in order to progress in their careers. And uh, that's, that's just so cool.
0: Man, this always happens. You know, we start talking about one thing, financial literacy, and then we get on the topic of hiring good people. And this is why I love these conversations so much. They're just well-rounded, smart, sharp conversations. Not your average Joe. Takeaway number three. When it comes to building anything at all, scale it strategically. It might seem like a good idea to hire somebody that's really expensive, but then how sustainable is that really? If you're gritty, like Tori, like myself, you might want to consider training people from scratch, taking a little bit more risk on some new fresh talent, because to be honest, you won't be able to afford the really experienced ones, but also you can grow a culture of growth inside of your own company. I feel like there's so much you get when you're giving, right? Like when your mentor gives you a high, that's why people love volunteering, because Selfishly, it makes them feel good. I feel that as well in my career. It's like I want to give because it actually gives me something huge in return, which is this good feeling that it's for something more, that like we're not, at the end of the day, we're not just chasing money. We're we're trying to better lives. We're trying to help people find their freedom and their happiness and their creativity and like thrive. But something I wanna touch on and ask you is, I can't imagine that your nine to five job taught you all of the skills that you ended up needing to use to grow her first 100K. When I think about you, you're in the category of like a creatorpreneur, as am I, as are so many people on the internet that use social media as a way to kind of have a funnel into businesses. But yep. then the actual business side of capturing emails, of writing marketing emails, of looking at how to structure your packages are you selling courses where did you learn that information was there a guru or a course you took that taught
1: you a lot of this stuff no but I'll tell you what I did it was um very strategic I looked at a lot of people's businesses and I was like I want that and then I thought why am I not getting that Like, I was stuck at 4,000 Instagram followers for like a fucking year. I couldn't figure it out. Like, I couldn't crack that nut. I was like, I know what I have to say is valuable. I know that I'm capable of a business that has 500,000 Instagram followers and has a huge email list. Like, I know I'm capable of that. And I looked at a bunch of people who were doing the kind of businesses I wanted. So back in the day, especially, there was less people. But like, Jenna Kutcher and the way she ran her business was like a big blueprint for me. Ramit Sethi still is. He is a genius when it comes to email marketing and course sales. So rather than so much consuming the content that they were producing, because like Jenna Kutcher has a podcast, right, where she talks about like, here's how to structure your business and here's how to market. I was listening to that stuff, but I was more watching what she did. So a perfect example of this. So I look at actually both of them. They had for a long time, and Ramit I still think does this, they had a quiz where you would answer questions about like what kind of business you were running, right? Or from Ramit, it was like where you're at in your financial life. And in exchange for your email, they would give you quiz results, right? And we basically straight up copied that. Like we didn't take the copy, right? We didn't take the actual words they were saying or like the structure, but we were like, we're going to do a quiz and we are going to decide what your money personality is. And then we're going to compile the resources we've already created into like a landing page. So if when you take this quiz, we not only a get your email, but B we've compiled all these resources for you, both paid and free that you can consume. Right. And so I literally would watch, again, these entrepreneurs make these strategic decisions and go, okay, what software are they using to do that? Okay, why are they doing Oh, they're doing it to get somebody's email. But they're doing it in a fun way where it almost doesn't feel like you're willing to give up your email, right? And so that's the perfect example of I was just watching and consuming on my own and then figuring out like, how could I use a similar strategy in my own business? So we went viral on TikTok Back in, it was like May of 2021. That was our most viral video. I think we had six million views on that video. And I think it was like three or four million within a couple of days. And Virality is amazing. It's hard enough to just go viral. It's harder to make something of that virality, right? It's so much harder to take like that viral moment and make something of it, rather than just getting a bunch of views. But the interesting thing is what we had done, and again, we didn't expect this video to go viral. We thought it would do well, but we didn't expect it to explode. In the caption of that video, we said, start with a, with our money personality quiz linked in our bio. And that was our caption for it, is it was like, if you want to know where to start, take our free money personality quiz. And we had over 100,000 email subscribers in a week. We had 100,000 people take the quiz and give us their email. And that was insane, right? So if the quiz and the systems we built hadn't existed, that viral moment would have been cool and would have gotten us some press and would have gotten us some followers, but we wouldn't have been able to make the most of that. So when I was learning and being strategic about the business I wanted to build, I was looking at other people who were two years ahead of me or four years ahead of me or six years ahead of me and being like, okay, what sort of strategies, what sort of systems are they building and putting into place in order for them to get, again, like get emails, get customers, build trust. And so we just started modeling our shit after them right and again it's not like a carbon copy but what is it like good artists create great artists steal or what you know and again it's not fully stealing it's it's realizing what sort of systems or strategies work for other people and then trying them out in your business and maybe you're like okay that worked or no that did not work because they have a different business than we do so that was really one of the probably the biggest way I ended up learning a lot of the more strategic things around growing an online business was watching other people do really well and being like, okay, what can I learn from them and the way they're setting things up?
0: And that's the smartest thing because you do have these gurus out there that are charging like $15,000, $17,000, $20,000 for for a day with them so that you could pick their brain. And I was even thinking about doing something like that. And if anything, I would make one hell of a YouTube video like I spent $17,000 for a guru. And then I'm like, hold up, hold up. Let me roll this shit back. If I poured $17,000 into my business, that would be way more valuable because all of this content is right. there to consume for free. And in fact, even your right. newsletter, I signed up and I'm like, how is she doing this? What is she doing? So it's so funny mm-hmm. because it's a chain raising those eyebrows. And it's it's so wild right. too you because you could be two things. You could be a creator. I guess you could be three things. You could be a creator. You could be an entrepreneur. And you could be a, a hybrid of both, which is the creatorpreneur, And- I was a creator for 10 years. I wanted so badly to be an entrepreneur, but I had a business partner at the time and there was just such a misalignment because when you're going balls to the wall on content, we were making three YouTube videos a week, right? And this is content. Oh, Lord,
1: don't I know it. I remember. In multiple
0: languages, multiple subtitles. There was a whole system for it. We had an editor for the Portuguese content. We had this amazing global audience. And when I look back at that, it's like, damn, we had one million People and then I launched Shut Up and Go, which was my attempt of making a business. And the issue was always like, what is it? Are we content or are we a business? And so it was kind of a blend of both. And I learned a lot from it. But what I see now very clearly is we were just creators wanting, I wanted to have the business. And I wanted to have a business that had a lot of moving parts with a lot of contributors all around the world. And then I did my Netflix show and then I came back and then I started Joe Club. And Joe Club is actually a business. And I was thinking, I'm like, that's so ironic that Joe Club with a fraction of the followers made more money than Shut Up and Go ever did with a million subscribers and like 40,000 and whatever. We had like our little network of followers of both the channel and the company, but we didn't prepare for the traction. We didn't have the email plan. We didn't have the product plan. And that to me was the biggest missed opportunity. So it's like when you're thinking about why post content, you can look at it in, in these ways. It's like, do you want to be a creator and create for the sake of creating, which is noble in a way, but it's also not permanent. Like part of my thinking as I was creating content, I was like, damn, I'm almost going to turn 30. What am I going to do? Keep traveling around the world? Plus, when you have a business partner, you make those decisions together. What if I have a relationship? What right. if my nieces and nephews want to hang out? like, And I can't because I have to physically – be somewhere to make this money like this is not smart and this is when I started thinking okay how do I scale things how do I and I'm still in that journey and I'm like super transparent about it on this podcast too because I happen to kill myself with businesses that are very dependent on like real-time conversations so it's like how do you scale that you know And like, it's a beautiful problem to have. It's it's
1: a lot of systems. That's what I realized is it's a lot of like upfront work to create things that then run on autopilot, right? So like, again, the quiz, perfect example. That was a lot of upfront work to create these personality types and to compile all our resources and to figure out the logistics of how this would work and to make sure that our email platform was connected so that when somebody gave their email, we actually got it, right? And that was a system that took a lot of time, but now it's been running for us for over a year and just runs on autopilot, right? And so like, I think great business owners create systems. Good business owners find a problem and then they go solve it. Right. Or like something comes up and they're like, okay, now we need this thing, you know, as opposed to for us, before we had even gotten a viral video, we had already figured out, okay, if we can have videos that do well, what does that mean then? Right. Like, how do we make the most of that? And so we were really committed to building smart systems as opposed to like being reactionary in our choices. We were being proactive rather than reactive. Um, and again again I think now like for me I am very public about my love of the try guys. Like I love the try guys. I consume everything they produce. I I love them. Two of them follow me on social media platforms. I had full on meltdowns when that happened. And they are not in my niche whatsoever, right? Like they are very different than what I do, but I can look at their business and how they've structured it. And they're not out here. They're not creators that are that are selling a business, right? They're They're doing YouTube content around trying things that very much is like bastardizing what they do. But like, they're not out here going, here's how to run a successful, here's how to quit a global media company and start your own. Like they're not doing that. But I'm watching the decisions that they make and watching how they're hiring and watching how they're launching merch and watching how they're producing a a documentary and I'm watching all of those things and then going oh that's a perfect runway for what I want to do so they're not necessarily out here being the business gurus right but I can look at their business and look at the strategic decisions that they've made and then try to emulate them in my business I very much feel it like especially because I consume so much of their content know so much about them they have very much become like a template for like the way i want to run the business the future i see her first 100k going into and i'm watching the decisions they're making and then going how can we how can we set the the foundation because they're years beyond me, right? How can I set the foundation in order to get that in a year or in order to get that in three years?
0: Not Your Average Joe tip number three. I'm letting y'all in on how the sausage is being made. It's actually really cool to document my journey as a creatorpreneur with you guys on this podcast because today I am at one level, but who knows where we'll be in a few years. What I have learned in my journey working on content and working on the internet is that yes, you can absolutely have a lucrative, beautiful life being a creator however if you're like me and you crave something bigger than just your face on videos then you need a strategy you need to have an email list you need to think about how the business can run without your face attached when i developed joe club it became a membership program it's a journaling club and yes i'm there twice a month and i lead sessions twice a month but eventually there will be other moderators leading sessions and i won't need to be there every single other week cool or my 21 day language challenge i'm about to make courses so that it can just sell on its own so yes i make content and i enjoy making content but there's also something else in addition to the content i'm trying to blend the lines of being a creator and an entrepreneur but my advice is think about what the entrepreneurship looks like if you're getting into being a creator because you have to ask yourself in 10 years do you still want to be doing the same thing maybe i've been doing it for 10 years i'll probably be doing it for 10 more years but in the event i don't i have businesses to fall back on I love, love, love this thinking. So I write, I write all the time and I love reading books about writing. And the first thing that I learned and I also had this innate feeling, but when you are a writer, you read books like a writer. You don't read books like a reader. Then I see this in my TV hosting, right? Like I've hosted a TV show, I've done an unscripted show. When I watch shows, I'm not watching like a consumer. I'm studying the format. I'm studying how the person's positioning their body, what their outfits are, why it works, why it doesn't. When it comes to creating anything or, or building anything or getting better at anything, you got to look at it with the pair of eyes that you're studying and dissecting it. It's almost like finding the vitamin that's hidden inside of the brownie. Like I always say, I want to hide vitamins and brownies and people are doing that every day. Like they're hiding what is really the point with this like sheer, fluffy, fun, engaging content. Right. And you would hope that the person right. that you're following is selling you something genuine and good, which is why I like all the things that I want to do, it's to bring people closer together, global minds, introspection. But at the end of the day, we're all right. selling businesses. Like, you're selling the concept of financial literacy. That's a business. The Try Guys are selling their business, which is being entertainers. But also, there's merch
1: attached, and there are meetups, and books, and whatever else. So, And I also put my consumer hat on, too, where I'm 100% doing the, like, what does this mean for my business? Or, yeah, how are they positioning themselves in this way? What's happening? Oh, they've structured their video in this way, and that means this, right? I'm also putting my consumer hat on and going, why do I consume their content? Like, why am I obsessed with them? Right. And that helps me run my business where I'm like, oh, there's no toxic masculinity whatsoever to speak of. They are, you know, transparent yet still private about their home lives. They are, you know, really committed to vulnerability, even when it's goofy and ridiculous and doesn't look like vulnerability. Right. Like I love and they're they're hysterical, like I love their shit, right? And so then I also have like half of the brain is doing 100% what you're doing where I'm like, oh, what does that mean for me as a business owner? And the other half is going, why does this work and why do I keep coming back? And how can I create that feeling for people who consume my content, right? How can I build a community and build relationships and trust with my audience like you know, the Try Guys or somebody else has built with me, right? And so that's part of it too, I think, about being a really good marketer or about being a really good business owner is figuring out, oh, what sort of habits or what sort of um, responses do certain people give me? And how can I emulate that response? How What sort of strategies have they taken, either knowingly or unknowingly, in order for me to get on board and feel a part of their community? And again, how can I emulate that? in my own not your
0: average joe tip number four now this is a good one like i said when i read books i read books like a writer sure sometimes i get lost in pages and i forget what i'm doing and hours have passed and i look up and i'm like damn what week is it but most of the times I'm consciously reading to see how the author conveys scenes and characters. The same thing goes for when I'm watching content, when I'm following people on Instagram that I know they're creators as well I'm looking at how they're creating, how much promo are they putting in? Are they doing brand deals? Are they selling courses? Are they selling retreats? When I look at the podcast that I love, I ask myself, why do I love the podcast? Is it the music? Is it the way that the host interacts? Is it the social media presence that the podcast brings in addition to, you know, the content you get on the actual podcast. And that's how you turn consuming content into creative development. I love these conversations. It's always so encouraging, empowering, and inspiring to see someone take not only, you know, the opportunity, but take control and inspire other people to do the same thing. It's like, you know you're on to something when the goodness doesn't stop with you, when your role is to spark the goodness in others. Like that's when you know you're on to something good. Last bit, I always ask everyone on my podcast this, if you could give anyone a
1: tip after today to be less of a not-so-average Joe, what would it be? Talk about money. Have conversations with your friends, have conversations with your partner, with your coworkers, start talking about money and start watching the sort of narratives that you believe about money. Start watching your habits. Be more mindful. When you go in and you purchase a pair of shoes that you did not need and did not want, what sort of uh, day did you have? What sort of things did your boss tell you that made you feel like shit that day, right? What sort of void are you trying to fill by spending money, right? And on the opposite side, when you feel really joyful and really great, for me, it's often when I'm traveling what did money give me the opportunity to do right like what sort of choices were available to me because i had saved or because i had made good strategic decisions around money so not only again talking about money but talking about money internally with yourself having conversations about it figuring out what sort of narratives do i believe both positive and negative what sort of beliefs do i have about money based on my background based on my parents how they manage money based on my career and start seeing if you can improve that relationship over time by not beating yourself up, not shaming yourself, but instead just making a different choice or reframing your thoughts around money.
0: So good, so powerful. I can't wait to see your career blossom and for all of the women and maybe even men, honestly, to get their finances ready
1: together. Let's 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 spark a little bit of it. We got a bunch of men. I always say financial feminism, being a financial feminist, you can be a feminist regardless of your gender identity. So anybody, as long as you're chill and supportive is 100% welcome. We just
0: need chill and supportive people all around. Thank you, Tori. I can't wait to talk to you on your podcast. Yay. Thank you for having me again. I feel like these episodes are getting realer and realer and I love it. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. On Apple Podcasts, you can even leave me an actual comment. And yes, I do read them. I would love to hear your thoughts on Instagram of what you'd like to see next. Follow the pod's Instagram account at notyouraveragejoepod. If you would like to know more about Tori and her business, I will link it all in the show notes below. Also, don't forget to follow me on Instagram at joe underscore Franco because you know she you've been posting all types of crazy travels. I'm currently in Croatia right now. Last week, I was in Italy. The week before that, I was in London. And next week, I'll be in Greece. And then the week after that, my booty finally goes back home where the prime audio quality will return. I'm really enjoying this process. I'm enjoying growing my own knowledge with you. And hopefully, you're picking up some Not Your Average Joe takeaways and applying them to your life as well. And if you'd like to join my journal club where I meet twice a month with members all around the world and write and talk about amazing topics such as financial literacy. I'm leaving you a coupon for 50% off your first month in the show notes. Join the family. It's a really amazing group of people. And I'm actually here in Croatia to lead the first ever Joe Club retreat. So eight members are flying out to Zagreb and we're going to have a week together of writing our hearts out and getting to the core of it all. This podcast was produced and edited by me and the theme song was created by my sister, Fernanda Franco. And we'll hang out next week. Same time, same place. Maybe even on Wednesdays, which are the days I was supposed to be posting, but now I'm traveling, so it's really hard to post on Wednesdays. But hopefully I'll have next week's episode on Wednesday for you, if not Thursday. Regardless, have a beautiful, above-average week. You deserve it. Hey,
2: yo, come listen to my girl, man. What you doing? Shit. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row?